All right. Welcome back once again to another episode of The Actors Room, episode number eight. And today we discuss Al Pacino. Should be a lot of fun talking about this very talented man. So here we go. Oh yeah, my name is Jeff Tarowski, and uh, here we are once again, another episode of the Actors Room, and we will be highlighting Al Pacino and one of his uh, his truly famous uh, lines, or it's not even a line, it's it's just a sound. Hoo-wah! It's just priceless, and most people who are familiar with Al Pacino are also familiar with that little quip there. Um, Pacino is among many movie stars whose career began on the stage. But most don't return to the stage more than he does. Now, Pacino returns to his roots every so often because he really, truly loves it. Shakespeare and Oscar Wilde are among the favorites that he pursues. Like I've said before, in previous episodes of this podcast, there is nothing like being on stage and in front of a live audience. You can feed off of their energy, and you can't, you can't get that on a movie set. Now, I can understand you do a great scene, something you're really proud of, and maybe stagehands and people that work on set with you will give you a little bit of a you know, round of applause or something like that, getting something back, but that is nothing compared to what you experience when you're on the stage. You get an energy from the audience. You can feel the buzzing. You can feel it from the the lights are buzzing. Uh, there's so much, there's so much life. Everything is alive. It feels like your your set that you're uh, working with on stage, whether it be a couch, a chair, uh, a desk, it feels like it's alive. And you can use it. Uh, so I can see why uh, an actor who has been in many films, you know, I've never been in a film, but. I am sure that when these actors are on film and doing it for a certain amount of time, I think the true actor deep down misses the theater. So you'll find a lot of actors doing stage work as well as film. And uh, I think that's really great. And for some reason, there was an opportunity for me to see uh, Michael C. Hall on stage. And he's one of my all-time favorites. And if you don't know, Michael C. Hall is the actor who uh, plays Dexter in all the the famous Dexter episodes. And uh, I gotta tell you, he is something else, that guy. I could watch his scenes over and over, just like Mickey Rourke, I could watch over and over. I could do the same with Michael C. Hall. Man, he is so good. Oh, and I had a chance. I heard he was going to be on stage. It had to have been about five years ago. And I said to myself, I'm going. For Christ's sake, I am going to go. But for some reason, we didn't. It just might have been money. Some simple as money. We just, you didn't have it at that time. And we didn't go. But that gives you a little insight that no matter how big some of these stars are and how much money they're making doing films, they still miss the theater. You get something different out of the theater. And this is what Al Pacino does. And he does it often. He loves Shakespeare. 
Pacino also loves making documentary films on the likes of Shakespeare and Oscar Wilde. Mr. Al Pacino is a cultured man that appreciates all forms of art. For example, opera is one of his passions as well. Pacino's acting can be described in one word for me, dynamic. Let's go ahead and talk about the life of Al Pacino. Just like Robert De Niro, Al Pacino was born in New York City. Born Alfredo James Pacino on April 25, 1940, in East Harlem, his parents were Salvador and Rose Pacino. And also, like Robert De Niro, his parents broke up when he was only two years old. His father up and left the family, and Rose was left to pick up the pieces. Since his mother had to work, she would eventually move in with her parents, James and Kate Gerard. The tiny tenement in the Bronx was overcrowded and Pacino grew up in poverty. Both of his grandparents and his mother were very protective of the little boy and they hardly ever let him leave their sight. Um, they really held on to him at an early age and did this up until the time where he had to go to school. Uh, now this would leave Al very vulnerable to bullies and he would get picked on by both boys and girls. Now he would later learn to show his talent by reenacting all the films that his mother took him to see. Al would also enjoy putting on performances for his family as well. Uh, he quickly went from victim in the schoolyard to one of the most popular kids in the school because of his outward and lovable personality. The guy was a cut-up and everyone loved him. His grades were horrible, but he loved being in the school plays. Pacino's mother gave him the nickname Sonny, and his performances in the school plays prompted his teacher to write home about his tremendous talent. Now, I will from time to time call Al Sonny. I just like that nickname. He looks like a Sonny to me. I could see it. So if you hear me say Sonny throughout this uh, episode, I am referring to Al. Now, his mother finding out about how well he was doing in the school plays made her feel really good. And I'll tell you why. They were poor. And she felt anything positive about her son would be his ticket out of this life. And all this feedback she was getting from the teachers about, you know, your son is very talented doing these plays. It's like, it's amazing how really good he is. She thought to herself, please, God, let this talent that he has give him a great life. So she was happy that he was really good at something. Both his mother and teacher felt the best course of action was having him attend Manhattan's famous High School of Performing Arts. And he would follow in De Niro's footsteps once again. <laughs> These two. It's really weird. Okay. Now, he also dropped out of high school at the age of 16. Now, they didn't know each other at this time, but both of their paths are pretty much going on the same track. And pretty much the same time, too. It's really, really cool. 
he found the method they were teaching to be too strict. And I'm talking about the acting method they were teaching. He felt that Stanislavski's method took the fun out of acting. And another factor of him dropping out was that his grandfather had just retired and his mother got really sick. And he now became the sole support of the family. Well, that's just not fair, in my opinion. And I think this sort of thing happened more often back then than it does now. Um, It's just not fair to take away a child's youth in order to take care of your family by going to work at an early age. I mean, I understand it. These things happen. And I think they happen, like I said, more often than not at that time. Uh, Like someone would get sick, uh, someone would lose their job. They were just getting old. And a lot of families live together anyway. And, uh, you know, you would have a grandparent living with you. Like, you know, my wife, Amy, uh, she grew up uh, and her grandmother lived with them. Um, I don't know how that is possible. I understand you have to do it sometimes, but I think it creates a lot of friction in the family. Even if the family is close and they get along pretty well, adding an element besides your family, and I'm talking about, you know, the mom, dad, and kids, and then you add on uh, another uh, parent or an uncle even, even a brother, you know, it is there's an element there. Even if you get along, it's hard to just deal with some things. It really is. It's hard enough for a family unit that's just a mother, father, and kids to get along, let alone adding more to the... <laughs> so, I mean... That's, that's just how I feel about it. I, I could be wrong, uh, but from what I hear from other people, that's the general vibe that I get. Okay, so uh, Sonny would eventually move out a few years later and get a few odd jobs like ushering at a movie theater. Uh, he also delivered mail, and uh, he also fixed leaking faucets as an apartment super. But it was... Moving to Greenwich Village when he was 19 that changed the way he approached his art and craft. It was at this time he took classes at the Herbert Berghoff Studio. This is where he met 29-year-old Charlie Lawton and his wife Penny Allen. He would become close friends with both of them. Charlie was an acclaimed British actor and director doing some amazing work in Shakespeare. Now, Daniel Day-Lewis has admitted that Charlie was an inspiration to him, and Daniel Day is considered to be one of the great actors of our time. And I had mentioned in an earlier episode of this podcast that I want to do him as soon as possible. I'm going on feel uh, for who I would do next. I really don't know who I'm going to do next as I'm speaking right now. Uh, I do this podcast in sections. I may do the rest tonight. I might do the rest tomorrow. The point is that I don't really know who I'm going to do next until it pops in my mind. And that's when I make the decision. So we'll see. I'm not quite sure when I'm going to do Daniel Day-Lewis, but I'm really looking forward to talking about him. See, consider this uh, Charlie Lawton, one of the best actors of his generation. And El Pacino was very good friends with him in the early stages of his career. Both Charlie and his wife took him in, so to speak, 
by feeding him and giving him advice about jobs and auditions. Pacino's mom passed away when he was 22, and this was a devastating blow to Sonny. He still has trouble talking about the loss of his mother, even today. He fell into depression, and the next few years were very difficult for him professionally. During these dark years, he would find little work, and any work that he could find, such as being an understudy to Martin Sheen in a quote-unquote back-alley production, and also work as a stagehand. Sonny was having serious doubts about being an actor. He was having to borrow money from friends and find places to crash for the evening. He ended up being one of the many people passing out flyers on street corners. It got so bad, he even considered having himself committed. I would have to say, that is pretty fucking bad. Thinking about having yourself committed is just, I can't even think of it. But now I know what you're saying to yourself right about now. When is this turnaround? His turnaround must be around the corner. And you're right, it is. Lucky for him, Pacino discovered Joe Sino's on Cornelis Street. It was also a hangout for other theater types like Sam Shepard, who recently passed. Pacino would find himself doing Shakespeare monologues in the cafe, and Sino was a sort of godfather figure to many starving playwrights, actors, and artists. His newfound confidence led to Sonny doing off-Broadway roles, which led to an Obie nomination. So just like that, this young, talented man who was going through a rough time, battling with just bad breaks, losing his mom, couldn't find work, crashing on couches, uh, borrowing money to eat. And thank God he found this Sino. And uh, he really helped out. He fed him not only food, but he fed him inspiration. I guess that uh, Piccino would do Shakespeare monologues in the middle of the cafe, just feeding his talent. And it was in this place that he got his confidence back. And within a very short period of time, he's on stage and wins, I'm sorry, was nominated for an Obie. Then he entered the one place he would love forever, the actor's studio. In the beginning, he was very intimidated by the studio and sort of fell into the shadows, displaying a surly attitude, some classmates said. But he soon gained the respect of Lee Strasberg, and the two would eventually become very close friends. I believe his friendship with Lee was strong because Sonny displayed great loyalty. Sonny, to this day, fully supports small theater and has never forgotten the people who helped him get on his feet. The late 60s treated him well, and he was on his way. He would eventually win an Obie for Best Actor in 1967 for his performance in The Indian Wants the Bronx. This was closely followed by his first Broadway show called 
does a tiger wear a necktie? This role would garner him a Tony Award for Best Supporting Actor. His status on the rise, Sonny made his first film with Patty Duke called Me Natalie. Although his role was small, he made an impression, and you get to see his potential. There were those in the business that felt Pacino's height of five foot seven would keep him limited with roles. And there goes to show how outside opinions of others can keep you down. No, sir, not Pacino. If anything, I am sure that when Pacino heard this shit, it made him want to succeed even more. We will show those assholes. A very important person that made his way into Pacino's life was an entertainment manager named Martin Bregman. Now, Marty signed Pacino right after he saw him on Broadway. He could see that I better get a hand on this guy. He looks special, and I'm going to get in on the ground level. So that's what he did. Bregman was directly involved in the picture that would put Sonny on the map. The film was called Panic in Needle Park. The film was made in 1971, and Pacino plays a man that is addicted to heroin. Kitty Wynn was his co-star. Pacino found himself talking with real addicts who hung out at the real Needle Park. His research gave him a first-hand look at what heroin can do to you. This drug scares the shit out of me. It really does, man. I've never been directly um, affected by heroin, but it sounds pretty scary to me. Um, very addictive drug, and those that use it often, it messes up not only your life, but all the lives around you. And I guess Pacino had been touched negatively by this drug. He had two close friends that had overdosed from this horrific drug. Um, I, I like this film. I do. Just knowing it was his second film and seeing him handle such a role was impressive. It really was. Um, he's a very natural actor with um, a lot going on inside. You could tell he has a lot of energy and he, I think, sometimes finds it hard to contain it, but he does. Uh, he really does. And uh, Needle Park will not make him a star, but his acting was out there for all of us to see. And uh, see, we did. And uh, others as well, like producers and directors, they took notice of this young man. Uh, the quote-unquote Pacino blast was evident in this film. He is an explosive actor. He has no problem unleashing it fully. He just does not at all. Pacino has passion in its shows. When he gets mad, he gets mad. Simple as that. He uses all of his body and his soul to get that point across. Um, training as an actor prepares you for things like this. They teach you to be in tune with your body. They tell you it's an instrument. A musician has an instrument like a violin, and they practice and practice their craft through the instrument, right? They have to keep it in tune for it to sound good. They have to take care of it, right? Well, an actor's instrument is their body. I mean, think about it. You must train and tune your voice, 
your mind, uh, your body, your psyche, uh, your your passions, your loves, uh, hates, your dreams, and your soul. All of these things. Like Brando would use a pencil to strengthen his fingers. Uh, De Niro would devour stacks of pancakes to gain over 60 pounds for a roll. They tweaked their instruments. An actor must treat their body like an instrument. You are selling yourself, then you're giving it to the role. Al Pacino used all of his tools, and thank God, he comes pretty close to overacting sometimes, but it's not. No way. I mean, that is him. That's him. It's just his passion that blows us away. And would you believe that his very next film was the classic Godfather? Amazing. As I mentioned in one of my previous episodes about Marlon Brando, I said that Pacino was not the first choice to play Michael. The studios wanted actors like Warren Beatty, Robert Redford, or Jack Nicholson. I love all of those guys, but come on now. None of them look Italian at all. So thank God director Francis Ford Coppola fought for Pacino. Although Al didn't perform well in his auditions, Francis still had a feeling about him. He has also said that he wasn't comfortable, and I'm referring to Pacino right now, Pacino said that he wasn't comfortable reading for the role of Michael. I think he was afraid that he couldn't do the role. That's what I think. Uh, He felt that he was more relatable to the role of the violent and uncontrollable Sonny character that was eventually played by James Caan. Now, the Godfather author and screenwriter Mario Puzo was turned off by Pacino's attitude and did not want him in the picture. Francis fought hard for him, and then he was eventually offered the role. Pacino was looking forward to working with his idol, Marlon Brando, and he would also be working with his old theater buddy, John Cazale, who played his brother, Fredo. He also started a long relationship with his co-star, Diane Keaton. But Pacino felt he didn't fit in during the shooting of the film. And I think he was also disappointed that he only got a Supporting Actor nomination while Marlon Brando got a Best Actor nomination. And you know what? I can see his point on this. Pacino has a bigger role in the film than Brando, and he does. So that just goes to show you that Brando's character was a larger-than-life presence, and I think that's what did it. His name was bigger, of course. Marlon Brando was a big name, even though before then he had done a stretch of horrible films. Marlon Brando was still a big name, an idol. Pacino was pretty much unknown at that point. So he's not going to get the nod over Brando as far as best actor, best supporting. Although maybe when I think about it, I blame the Academy a little bit because There is no reason why you can't have Marlon Brando nominated for Best Actor and have Al Pacino nominated for Best Actor. Why did they put him in Best Supporting? 
that's not a supporting role at all. That's a main role. So, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I can see why Pacino was turned off by that. I would be, too. But Pacino's acting in this film is phenomenal. Everyone talks about Brando, and they should, and maybe James Caan, which is great. But the character of Michael is by far the most intriguing, and that is because of Pacino's acting. Francis Ford recognized that he was Michael. Not even Al himself could see it in the beginning, but he most definitely was. He was definitely not intimidated acting alongside Marlon Brando. I mean, one of the best scenes in the film is when the two of them are talking in the garden about their strategies. They are comfortable with one another, and my favorite scene is definitely the ending. Many levels of acting played there, and played beautifully by Pacino. The final scene is truly inspirational. I want to go ahead and correct a mistake I made earlier on in this episode. Uh, I stated that Pacino was following in De Niro's footsteps. Sorry, that's wrong. Uh, Pacino was born in 1940, okay, and De Niro was born in 1943. That would have De Niro following in Pacino's footsteps, so to speak. So I apologize for that. Uh, Still pretty close in age and many parallels between the two of these fine actors. Pacino was now famous, but it didn't stop him from doing theater. He performed in a play called Basic Training of Pavlo Hummel and also a production of Shakespeare's Richard III. His next film was Scarecrow alongside Gene Hackman in 1973. Pacino and Hackman did not get along. They just had different personalities. It's not like they hated each other. and That's not what I'm saying. Uh, Doing my research, I I found that they actually hitchhiked across California as hobos for a while together. Um, I think for the most part, they got along fine on the set, but it just, they just didn't get along off set, but they made a really nice movie together. I like Scarecrow. Um, I did see it about 10, 15 years ago, so it's been a while. I enjoyed it every second of that movie. The two of them, although they didn't like each other, worked really well together. There was chemistry, and the movie itself is a good film. And uh, Gene Hackman has said in a few interviews that this was his favorite picture to make, and he was really disappointed that it didn't get the publicity or the popularity that he felt it deserved. Scarecrow is a very underrated picture, And I recommend watching this one. It's going to be worth it seeing these two act together. Um, Very underrated and a gem of a film. Serpico is a film that showed me that Al Pacino was a bona fide top-notch actor. I will deem this film the turning point in his craft. I see him in this one. This is the quote-unquote I see him moment for me. Pacino would state that this was his greatest achievement as an actor. He played a real-life cop who exposed the corruption within the police department. Pacino was constantly at Serpico's side. Sonny even wanted Serpico to live with him while making the picture. Pacino also used his method acting to guide him through the process. 
Director Sidney Lumet said that Al would be in character off the set as well. Um, Al being such a method actor, I mean, that's the way he was taught by Lee Strasberg at the actor's studio. Well, he took his method acting very seriously. And when he did a role, not only was he 100% in front of the camera, but he was also 100% off the camera to keep it going, so to speak. A lot of other method actors do the same thing. I think Robert De Niro did very similar things. Uh, Brando would do it from time to time. Not always, but sometimes he would as well. So uh, Cindy LeMay said that you know, if he was happy on that day and the character itself was happy, that that was good. Uh, you would get a happy L. Uh, if there were uh, shooting days where uh, the character had to be angry or sad, well, that was a bad day for everyone. <laughs> That's great. That was just a bad day for everyone, not only for Al, but for everybody else as well. Uh, Serpico ended up giving Al Pacino another nomination, this time for Best Actor. Next up was Godfather Part 2. His payday for this one was $600,000. That was 20 times more than the first Godfather. Pacino had such clout at this time, he even got his good friend and former acting teacher, Lee Strasberg, a nice part in this film. And I gotta tell you, very impressed with Lee Strasberg's acting in the movie. I understand Pacino and him were very good friends. And yeah, it goes to show you how much clout Pacino had at this time. Getting his buddy. Now, Lee Strasberg was very well known in the industry, even though... This was his very first picture. He had done, I think, a few television gigs way back in the day, like the 50s. But this was his first film, and he did really well. Just because you're an acting teacher doesn't mean you can act. But if you know all the rules and the technique is really good, you would think you should be able to pull it off pretty well. And he did. Lee Strasberg, I like him in this role. And he also ended up getting a nomination for his role, his very first film. It's, that's impressive. Um, it is reported that Pacino was difficult on set, and Francis Ford would get most of the wrath. Pacino felt the film was taking too long to make and requested script changes as well. It seems like Al was going through some image issues. He wanted to be treated like a regular guy, but on the other hand, he still wanted to be treated like a star. Well, you can't have it both ways. And he was also battling his weakness to alcohol. In dealing with his new success and fame, he often found comfort in drinking. He was no stranger to alcohol, as it helped him deal with his family troubles as a teenager. You know, with the loss of his mother and all his early career disappointments that he had, he found it very easy to have a few drinks. Uh, he would also go on binges for several days from time to time. He just liked to drink and would say that he liked himself more when he was between his second and third martini. Yeah, I, I think that, yeah, you're feeling pretty good between number two and three. Man, martinis are strong, though. I mean, that's pure alcohol. I, I would go uh, and have a martini um, 
every Friday I would have just one, and one is all I needed. When I was done with that martini, I was okay for the rest of the night. So he, uh, he liked himself loosey-goosey. Uh, you find yourself relaxed when you have a few drinks. It loosens you up. And when you're uptight and you have a lot of worries on your mind, like Pacino, uh, drinking comes real easy and it helps you. As much as I love the first Godfather, I have to say that I love the second one just as much. I'm amazed at the transformation that Pacino was able to make with Michael in both of the films. He is so different from the first time we see him until the end of the second one. He seems so innocent at first. You know when he's sitting at the table with Diane Keaton's character and would eventually become his wife? And he's sitting there in his uniform uh, at the wedding. And it's just the two of them. And they're eating lasagna. It's just a very comfortable, uh, relaxed scene. And they're just banting uh, dialogue back and forth. And he's just very relaxed. So innocent. Um, You could tell he's very embarrassed about talking about his family in a way. Um, But, you know, it's still a part of him. And he knows that. But just take a look at him during that very first scene of him and Diane Keaton. And then take a look at the very last scene in Godfather 2, two totally different people. And the transformation is quite clear to me. And Pacino pulled it off. Pacino ended up being nominated once again for an Academy Award for Godfather 2. Then came Dog Day Afternoon. Pacino initially turned down the role because he was physically exhausted and depressed. He just got done wrapping up The Godfather 2 and couldn't imagine getting himself all riled up to take on this role. Director Sidney Lumet quickly offered the role to Dustin Hoffman. When Pacino heard that his rival would take the part, Al changed his mind. How about that? (laughs) He would take the part and thank goodness because I could I love Dustin Hoffman. He is amazing too. But I couldn't see anybody else in that role. You know, you do that sometimes when you think about it. You're like, oh yeah, you know, this actor would have played that role. And you think to yourself, no, there's no way I could have seen him. And But you just don't know. Maybe Dustin Hoffman would have been fantastic. And we'd be talking about Dog Day Afternoon and how great Dustin Hoffman was in it. But guess what? He wasn't. It was Al Pacino. And he was freaking amazing. I am a huge fan of this film. I couldn't see anybody else playing Sonny. Plus, Sonny is his nickname. I mean, Sonny is Al Pacino's nickname. It just makes sense. That's, it's a, it was meant to be. Most of this movie is improvised, which I love. Performances are so much better when you improvise. It brings out the real personality of the actor. Pacino teamed up with his good friend and former co-star from The Godfather, John Cazale. Al would only sleep two hours a night. He would also hardly eat and took cold showers to make his character look wired and crazed. Now, only sleeping two hours a night is brilliant. It's a brilliant, brilliant move. Think about it. 
you have a long day, right? Or you didn't sleep really well the night before, and you say to yourself, you know what, I just need a nap. And you lay down on the couch, and I'm sure we've all done this, and you take a nap. A two-hour nap, right? It messes up everything. You know why? Two hours is way too long to take a nap. And way too short to have a full night's sleep. That two hours, your body wants to keep sleeping, okay? So if you only sleep for two hours, your body is a mess. And I think Al knew that. So when he laid in bed at night and fell asleep, he probably had an alarm set to only sleep two hours. It made him look wired and confused and just a mess. And it worked. Just a brilliant move. Now, Pacino actually ended up in the hospital for a short period of time because he collapsed from exhaustion. Wow. (laughs) Now, that is giving all of yourself, isn't it? Pacino would take a break from film, and well-deserved, for a while, and only did stage work when he felt like it. He needed to catch his breath. And I want to say this. i got to point this out. John Cazale was absolutely brilliant in Dog Day Afternoon. Just an amazing performance and one to note. His next film I want to discuss is dot, 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 and Justice for All. And I say dot, dot, dot because that is the actual title. I'm not sure, but this may be the only movie with a title starting out with the dots. Dot, 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 and Justice for All. <laughs> Interesting. Al Pacino gives us his best in this one. And he gives us his all just like he did in Dog Day Afternoon. Just a truly masterful effort here. And I want to play for you the scene I believe some of the best work he has ever done. I really believe that. I want you to go ahead and listen to this clip. Here it goes. And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. My client, the Honorable Henry T. Fleming, should go right to fucking jail. The son of a bitch is guilty. a slime. He is a slime. If he's allowed to go free, then something really wrong is going on. You are out of order. You're out of order. You're out of order. The whole trial is out of order. They're out of order. That man, that crazy, Let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. Hey, Frank, you want to make a deal? I got an insane judge who likes to beat the shit out of women. What do you want to give me, Frank? Three weeks probation? You, you son of a bitch, you. You're supposed to stand for something. 
You're supposed to protect people, but instead you fucking murder them. You kill McCullough. You kill them. Hold it. Hold it. I just completed my opening statement. He truly loses his mind at the end of that scene. I mean, he loses it. And when you watch the clip, you can see it in his eyes. He's gone. Lost in the moment. It it reminds me of the performance that Sean Penn gave in the film Mystic River. And if you have ever seen Mystic River, you know what I'm talking about. But if you haven't, there is a scene where Sean Penn's character figures out that his daughter has has been found dead. Okay, Now, Penn really loses it in the sense that his character is so full of anguish that his voice breaks up and he just falls to the ground and is in complete agony. And it reminds me of the scene that I just played for you. Al does something quite similar in the scene. Uh, There is a progression of madness Something like this takes a lot out of you. I mean, I can only imagine. Just amazing stuff. He once again studied real attorneys and addressed himself to people as if he was an attorney. Co-screenwriter Valerie Curtin said this of the film's leading man. Quote, Mr. Pacino projects reality unlike some actors who always seem larger than life. That's essential to this character. End of quote. Pacino was nominated for another Academy Award, and this time for Best Actor. Now we gotta talk about Scarface. When people think of Pacino, I think they think of Scarface first. For me, I think of Pacino and I see Michael Corleone. This Brian De Palma film reminds me of New York City, I actually saw it for the very first time there. I was in my friend's apartment and we all got pretty wasted and we're watching this film. And I will never forget watching the part where the blimp hovers across the sky and reveals its message, which was, the world is yours, right? It blew my mind because, I mean, really, for real, it just, it blew my mind uh, because I was really really stoned and I must have been at the peak of my highness so to speak and I just saw that and I got it like he like he rules the world or his world you know and that's what he wanted that was his goal he reached the very top so you all know what happens after that you come crashing down and that's exactly what happened great film and Pacino pulled it off he nailed the Cuban accent uh, he went for broke with this role, and he he did it. Um, and it must not have been easy to do, you know, to play another nationality that isn't yours and pull it off perfectly. I thought it was brilliant. Uh, Pacino literally melts into his surroundings, I thought. I was shocked when he didn't win the Oscar. He should have. L has said, that this was his most favorite role to do. This character is fascinating to me in the way he displays no fear, ever. He may be afraid inside, but you would never know it. 
Um, I also want to mention Dick Tracy. Because of the makeup job they did on Pacino, you know, I loved this movie when I was a kid, and uh, Pacino's character creeped me out a little bit, um, but Elle was actually nominated for Best Actor, I'm sorry, for Best Supporting Actor for this uncanny portrayal of Big Boy, and it was a fun one to watch. The Godfather Part 3. Eh, it's, it, it's actually not a bad picture. It's not. But because the first two were so amazing, there were high expectations for this one as well. I mean, you just have to go into it thinking, well, they're just going to make another brilliant Godfather, right? Well, not really. Um, it's not easy to hit back-to-back-to-back home runs if you think about it. It just isn't. But here is an interesting tidbit about Godfather Part 3. Pacino wanted $7 million to make the film. He was offered 5 Pacino was making such a big deal out of it that Francis was getting fed up and threatened to rewrite the script in the beginning of the film with a funeral of Michael Corleone. So yeah, I would think that Francis was a little bit pissed. And so pissed, he was willing just to kill off the character completely. Of course, Pacino eventually gave in and the film was made the way it should have been. Uh, Elle felt that the portrayal of Michael was incorrect in the third film because he believed Michael would not feel sorry for what he did, especially with the fact that he had killed his own brother or had his own brother killed. Um, I'm going to have to disagree with Pacino on that. I think his character would feel bad about it. If you remember just how different Michael was in the first Godfather, especially the very beginning like I referenced a little while ago, I think that man still existed inside of him. I do, uh, and that's just my opinion. Now, the next four movies I'm going to discuss are movies that I absolutely adore. They are Frankie and Johnny, Glen Gary, Glen Ross, Scent of a Woman, and Carlito's Way. Wow. Those are a stretch of some wonderful movies. And those were all done back to back. Um, Frankie and Johnny is so good. Michelle Pfeiffer and Sonny are a nice pair. The movie is real. That's the best way for me to explain it. Real. A true love story that makes sense to me. One of the very few love stories that grabs me. He never gives up on her. Special acting done here from both Al and Michelle. Pop this one in sometime if you're on a date. You will be pleasantly surprised. Glenn Gary Glenn Ross is one of my most favorite films of all time. No shit. You see an ensemble cast that acts their asses off. You have to watch this film if you've never seen it. Listen to this cast. Alec Baldwin... Kevin Spacey, Jack Lemmon, Ed Harris, Alan Arkin, and Jonathan Price join Pacino in this acting clinic. What a cast. Incredible. Always be closing. Baldwin's monologue is epic. Jack Lemmon's character is pathetic, but so enduring. Spacey's character is clueless and an asshole. On and on and on. Don't get me started because I can talk about this movie for days. And, of course, it deserves its own episode, which I will definitely do. But Pacino's rendition of his character, Tony Roma, is spot on and I love it. 
He plays such a slimeball salesman, but you get to see the best of Pacino in his acting in this role. You can tell how comfy he is as Roma. The dialogue is like it's a part of him. Okay, next up, Scent of a Woman. And this movie will finally give Al Pacino his Academy Award. Honestly, it shouldn't have taken that long. What a joke. This is the movie that gave us the hoo-ha, and he says it often. Al is truly in the dark in this film, playing a blind man. He shows us, and Chris O'Donnell's character, that he is more than meets the eye. Pacino would remain in character offset and never look directly into anyone's eyes when they talk to him. Carlito's Way is an underrated film, in my opinion. Pacino is such a badass in this one. The way he yells at Benny, which is played by John Leguizamo, when they're eating in the club, it's just fun to watch those two go at it. Benny is so freaking pissed. And Pacino's character just has nothing to do with him. He has no respect for him. Just get out of my face. He's tearing him down left and right. And Liguizamo just starts boiling up. A really fun scene to watch. And I also want to note that Sean Penn gives a noteworthy performance as well. Uh, he made some really nice choices as an actor, changing his appearance and so on. Um, I may be doing an episode of Sean Penn sooner than I thought. He could, he's been coming up a lot in these episodes I've been doing. Almost all of them, I think. Uh, just like Mickey Rourke and a few other actors that kind of always spring up. So I think I might be doing him pretty soon. There is, of course, Heat, which he nails. And we get to see him and De Niro together, like I mentioned with uh, De Niro's podcast or episode. Um, and they meet for the first time. It was epic, of course. Um, and then came Donnie Brasco. Okay, this might be a bit of a surprise to most people. But this is my favorite Pacino film. He is so good in this movie. His eyes and body language says it all to me. It's so beautifully done. He is a broken down man in the beginning. Starts to kind of come around during the progression of the film. And then gets beat down again at the end. It's just so tragic. And it's a roller coaster ride for Pacino. And it's a roller coaster ride for me too when I watch the film. Um, and this is Depp's best role as well. I'm sorry, Depp fans, if you think that the pirate he plays is the best acting he's ever done. No, you gotta see Donnie Brasco. He actually acts in this movie. It's amazing. He also does some of his best acting in Edward Scissorhands, too, by the way. Now, I'm not gonna get into much of the films he did after this, but I will point out a few. Of note. The Insider I loved. Insomnia. The Recruit. Manglehorn. And Danny Collins. Al Pacino loves acting. And I love watching him act. <laughs> I, I am so jealous of all the people who have seen him perform on stage. Now, maybe someday I'll get to see him too. How amazing that must be to watch him on stage. His love for all art shows in his work. Like I stated earlier, he uses all of his tools to give us epic performances. He shows us his true passions, loves, hates, 
struggles, dreams, and soul. Thank you, Sonny. Thank you, Mr. Al Pacino. You are indeed a finely tuned instrument. And thank you all for listening to this episode on Al Pacino, doing the research, again, learning so much about these guys. They're truly amazing people, and you get to learn about their childhood. To me, that's important. And uh, a big reason why I'm doing these uh, podcasts, these episodes, is because I find what makes a person tick very fascinating. We all have pasts that we're not fond of, things that we've done that we're not proud of. But you know what? Everybody has their secrets. And not only secrets, but just skeletons in the closet, things that people will never know about. Um, So when I find out something about people, especially ones that I look up to that fascinate me, I'm fascinated by it. And I thought maybe other people will be fascinated as well, learning about all these people that we have watched on film uh, for a very long time and want to know more about. So I hope that you enjoy that aspect of the actor's room because it is something that I enjoy. Um, I want to go ahead now and uh, say that Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Um, it really does help me. And when you put in, like, if you go on iTunes and you put uh, search and put actors room, you get to see how popular my podcast is. Uh, and right now, it's getting lower and lower on the list. So please tell people about the podcast. I need that help just to keep it afloat. And for now, I'm still in the early stages. So it's going to take time to put it where I want it to go. I'm giving it time. I'm not rushing anything. I haven't put that much money into this yet. I'm going to wait on that. I'm going to wait to bolster up my website and do other things, maybe advertise in the future. But for now, word of mouth is my only way to make this thing just a little bit more popular. So talking about the podcast is the best thing you can do for me. Okay? Um, this will end episode number eight and I have, I'm torn right now about what I'm going to do for my next episode. I really haven't thought about it. And like I mentioned earlier, usually it pops in my head by now. There is Sean Penn popped in my head and then Robert Duvall popped in my head. And then I'm like, wait a minute, is it time to do a movie? Do something, you know, mix it up. And I'm like, no, I'm going to wait until the 10th episode to do a movie. So I have, I'm going to do one more person next before I do the movie. So I think, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to tie this all in together. I'm going to do Robert Duvall. And we're going to see, I find him so cool. Robert Duvall is a different kind of actor. He's very passionate as well. So I'm going to do Robert Duvall next. All right. You know what I'm going to say next. Put a movie in tonight, one you love, one that relaxes you. I had a long day today, very long day. I'm looking forward to sitting down and putting in something fun tonight. I haven't decided what it's... I'm just going to go on there and I'm going to find something funny tonight to laugh. You need to laugh some days just to brush off all the shit that you just did. You know what I mean? You just need to laugh. 
because you know you didn't laugh that much at work. So you got to laugh later on. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put in something funny, and I hope that you put in something that you enjoy. Thank you so much for listening. Have a good one.